if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, and I hope you do, would you open it to John chapter number 3, the Gospel of John chapter number 3. Now listen, I know Billy looked really good in his tie and coat this morning. As a matter of fact, I told him if someone's watching the live stream or something, they probably thought we had a new pastor this morning. Uh, but listen, this is as pretty as I get. So um, Billy, thanks for setting the bar so high. I appreciate you doing that, maybe even intentionally. Uh, John, chapter number three, we've been in a series going through the gospel of John, really thinking about one massive idea, and that is the invitation that Jesus gives all of us to come and see. And so that's what we've been doing the last few weeks, and we're going to continue to do so. We're going to look at the life of Jesus, and we're going to see the impact that it has on us and the entire world. Now, I loved this morning, thankful for Billy and the Gideon ministry. Um, I loved hearing about what God is doing in our world. In fact, all of our ministry partners that, that we partner with here at First Baptist have the same motivation. The Gideons distribute Bibles. Eight Days of Hope offers disaster relief. Operation Christmas Child and Samaritan's Purse. They give shoe boxes uh, to the world. But why do they do all of these various things? Well, all of that motivation can be found in the same place. It can be found in John chapter 3, beginning with verse number 16. So let's start reading there. I want you to see not just the motivation our church has for doing ministry, but also the partners that we have around the world. Everyone who wants to see the name of Jesus made famous, here is why. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now listen, you may not know this, but there are verses after John 3.16. Here's what Jesus continues to say. Here's what John continues to write. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Jesus, this morning, will you use your word to speak to our hearts? Bless your word this morning as you instruct us in your ways. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Listen, Jesus gives us clear motivation for why we do what we do, and it all has to do with the love of God. As a matter of fact, I titled the sermon this morning, For the Love of God. This is a plea almost. This is a plea to all ministry, to all Christians. Why do we do what we do? It's for the love of God. What does that love look like? Well, Jesus gives us a picture of that in John chapter 3. Let me show you the first thing he points out to us, and that is the depth of of God's love. The depth of God's love. It's found there in John 3, 16, in the very first words that are written, for God so loved the world. That is the beginning of the depth of God's love, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. This verse has been called everyone's text. It's been called the little gospel. Here's why. If the remainder of the Bible were lost and only this verse preserved, it contains enough gospel to save the whole human race. It tells us that God in love takes the initiative in salvation, that he saves 
through his son, that this salvation is appropriated through faith in him, and that those believing are saved to the uttermost of degree and time. As a matter of fact, it's said that you could spend days meditating on this one verse. Each day, you could place emphasis on a different word. Think about it like this. The first day, you might highlight, for God so loved the world. Who knows how much time you could meditate on what it means for God to know us and for us to know him. The second day, you might highlight, for God so loved the world. How much time could we spend thinking about the love of God and how much he loves you and me? The third day, you might highlight, for God so loved the world. On and on you could go and never exhaust the depths of the love of God found in this single verse. As a matter of fact, Herschel Hobbes helps give a picture to the depths of this particular verse. It tells of the greatest reason for divine love, for the original source of love, the greatest degree of love, the greatest emotion of love, the greatest object of love, the greatest relation of love, the greatest expression of love, the greatest gift of love, the greatest demand of love, the greatest recipients of love, the greatest response to love, the greatest deliverance of love, the greatest alternative of love, the greatest possession of love, the greatest quality and extent of love, the greatest fruit of love. Such is the depth of God's love. In fact, there's an old story shared about a man who preached on John chapter 3, verse 16 for an entire week. He was invited to a church to do revival services for seven days, and he never left John 3.16. On the final night of the week, the man finished his preaching with these words. I've been trying to tell you how much God loves you. Suppose I could borrow Jacob's ladder. Suppose I could ascend that shining stairway until my feet stood on the sapphire pavements of the city of God. Suppose I could find Gabriel, the herald angel who stands in the presence of God. And suppose I could say, tell me, Gabriel, how much does God love the world? I know what he would say, said the preacher. He would say, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves the world. In fact, if you don't believe that intensity, let me remind you or point you back to the phrase, for God so loved the world. It carries with it the idea of intensity that we must not miss. It's not just that God loved, but that he so loved. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, we use this phrase all the time. That movie was so good we watched the other night. It had a huge impact on me. It was, it was moving almost to tears, right? It was so good. Or that game last night we watched. Oh, that game was so good. It was a rush to watch. Offense here, offense there. Oh, that was so good. That food that I just ate, it wasn't just good. It was so good. It's the best I've ever had. Well, friend, those are terrible examples of what it looks like for the intensity of God's love for us. In fact, the best way that we can see the intensity, the depth of God's love is through what God so loved. He so loved the world. Think about that for a moment. 
The depths of our sinfulness gives even greater understanding to the depths of God's love. There are so many verses in the Bible that help us understand the sinfulness of the world. Whether it's Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, or whether it's 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Or maybe James 4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friend, that's exactly what we were and what some of us are. We stand still as enemies of God. Romans 5, 8, Paul wrote this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Such is the depth of God's love. Listen, friend, whether you think about great leaders from the Bible that God loved even in their sinfulness, whether you think about Moses, who was a killer, or David, who was an adulterer, or Peter, who was a coward, or Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, whether you think about entire sinful nations that God loved despite their sinfulness, such as Nineveh, who God spared even though they deserved destruction, whether you think about your own life, the sinfulness that you know better than anyone else, yet God loves you anyway. Such are the depths of his love. For God so loved the world, all the sinfulness, all the enemies, all the betrayal of his goodness, yet God still loves us. God's love is remarkable, not because the world is so big, but because the world is so bad. Friends, we didn't earn his love, nor can we. We only know love because he first loved us. Listen to this. Such are the depths of God's love. You may remember Julia Johnston in the words that she wrote, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Listen to this. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Jesus shows us God's great love through the depths of his love. He goes on though. He doesn't just show us the depths of God's love. He shows us the demonstration of God's love. It gets better than just the depths. He actually gave it to us. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look back at John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his love only son. Skip down to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He demonstrated his love for us in his son, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I read something interesting this week. It's that the King James Version Bible translates this verse into 25 words. You may have a copy of the King James Version Bible this morning. Go ahead, count it out. There are 25 words there. Now, the significance to this is two-part. Number one, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. I only have 24 words. The significance of 25 words is so that the word son can be right in the center of John 3:16. You say, Danny, why would this be important? Because this is how all things are. Jesus at 
the center. I love what John Phillips wrote about this verse. He said, in thinking of God, all centers on his son. God has no plan, no program for this world or any other, no purpose in the universe or in time or eternity that does not center in his son. This is why Paul wrote in Colossians 1.16, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I know it's hard to fathom this demonstration of love that God gives us. It's so hard to fathom because he doesn't just give us something good. He gives us the best, the most valuable for the least valuable. I thought about this. How can we truly know that someone loves us? It's not simply by declaration, but by demonstration. It's not just by saying it. It is by showing it. Friends, could God have shown it more? Of course not. He gave his only son. He sacrificed it all so that he could have the world or whoever believes in him. Salvation for you and for me is free, but don't you ever think that it was cheap. It was far from cheap. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the exchange in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah describes the exchange in Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." Listen to the crucifixion scene in Matthew chapter 27. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And watch this, he's on the cross. Matthew 27 continues. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He is the king King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. But friends, listen to me. Don't you mistake it. It was never the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It wasn't their accusations. It wasn't their laws. It wasn't their religious leaders who held Jesus on the cross. No, no, listen. Sally Lloyd-Jones might word it best in the storybook Bible. Here's what she wrote. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was love that kept Jesus on the cross. What a demonstration of the love of God. The purpose of Jesus coming to the world was to accomplish the love of God for the glory of God, not in condemning us, but saving us. The word condemn means to judge or pass judgment on. And listen, John tells us later that Jesus will certainly be given the authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. But listen to me, friends, that wasn't his primary purpose. 
He came as Savior, not judge. God gave his only son not to condemn the world, not to condemn you and me, but to save us through his son who died in our place, who paid the penalty of our sin. Please never, ever, ever forget what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Listen to how one author puts it. God's righteousness was on display at the cross. His holiness and hatred for sin were seen in the severity of the punishment. When Jesus took upon himself the punishment our sin demanded, he testified to the world that God is absolutely and unquestionably righteous. Let us never doubt the love of God. Here's why, friends, listen. You were not on the cross. God's own son hung there. You did not pay that terrible price. Jesus paid that terrible price. Friends, listen, either you die to pay the debt for your sin or Jesus dies in your place. Regardless, the debt must be paid and God demonstrated his love by paying that debt for us. Jesus shows clearly the depth of God's love. He shows clearly the demonstration of God's love. And don't miss this. He shows clearly the deliverance of God's love. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look back at John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He goes on in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Think about that for a moment. For those who believe in Jesus, no judgment comes. In other words, the judgment passed on those who believe in Jesus is justification because not of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Remember Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Don't miss the second part. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Note that justification of sin, salvation through Jesus, is only through faith in the work of Jesus, whoever believes in him. Over and over throughout the New Testament, we discover that salvation is by grace through faith. There's nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do, there's nothing you have to do, there's nothing I have to do to be justified. Nothing to be delivered from your sins. Jesus has done it all. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Listen to this from Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to this from Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Listen to this from Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe most famously, Ephesians 2.8-9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Also, don't miss this. Salvation by grace through faith is offered, listen to me, listen to me, listen to, me, to all. It's offered to everyone. Note the use of the words world and whoever all throughout this passage. For the person who thinks God has limited atonement for sin or that God chooses to leave people out of heaven or salvation clearly has never wrestled with this moment in the gospel of John. The gospel invitation to surrender your life to Jesus it's for the entire world and for whoever will believe in him. Matter of fact, John would later write in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only 
but also for the sins of the whole world. Can I just tell you something, friend? In case you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, can I just tell you that you can be delivered from your sins and you can have new life through Christ. You say, Danny, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the kind of things that I don't care. You know who does? Jesus does. And knowing all of those things, you know what he still decided to do? He still decided to crawl on a cross and die for your sins and for mine. Matter of fact, you can, just like Nicodemus before this moment, you can be born again by believing in Jesus. Listen, you might be here this morning and the Holy Spirit is convicting you. He's revealing to you that you're a sinner on your way to eternity, separated from God in a place called hell. The Bible doesn't play around with this truth. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As a matter of fact, the psalmist tells us that God looks down on the world and sees none who are good, not even one. That's right, you and me, none who are good. Friend, though you aren't good, as the Apostle Paul put it, though you're dead in your trespasses and sins, though I too was dead in my trespasses and sins, God sent Jesus to die for you. Such is the depth of his love. Such is the demonstration of his love that he would send what is so valuable to take the place of what is so sinful. Most of us wouldn't die even for the people who are closest to us, yet Jesus died for his enemies, you and me. Listen, if that's you today, right now, and you're wondering, Danny, what do I do now that the Spirit of God has convicted my heart? Well, let me help you. Confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Give your life to him today. That's all that's required for salvation. All that's required is that you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit to repent from your sins and to choose to follow Jesus. And when that happens, which is why you'd be asking that question in the first place, John's already told us from John chapter 1 what to do. Here's what he said. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friend, all you have to do is believe and receive. It's as simple as you praying what the apostle Paul told the church in Romans 10, 9 through 10. Here's what he wrote. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. You know what the apostle goes on to write after this? He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. He doesn't say everyone who cleans up their life he doesn't say everyone who has perfect church attendance. He doesn't say everyone who does this, that. No, no, no. Who calls on the name of the Lord? Believe and receive. That can be you today. You can confess Jesus as your Lord. There is deliverance from sin through the love of God. But let me show you this last thing. It's a little bit more intense. Certainly, Jesus points out the depths of God's love and the demonstration of God's love. Certainly, he points out the deliverance of God's love, but he gives us one little note, and that is the dismissal of God's love. Listen, he does not force anybody to follow him. He clearly portrays to us what salvation takes, and it's nothing on our part except believing and receiving. But listen, you can choose to reject. This is why I look back at John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Should not perish, but there are some who will. Say, Danny, what do you mean? Look back at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Though Jesus shows us the depth of God's love and the demonstration of God's love and the deliverance of God's love, he also shows us the dismissal of God's love. To all who don't believe, they're condemned themselves by not trusting in Jesus' sacrifice in their place. Rather than allowing Jesus to pay for their sin and debt, they pay for it themselves through eternal punishment in hell. Think about this reality. For all the people in the world who want to say that God will never send anyone to hell because he is too loving, they miss what Jesus teaches in John chapter 3. Certainly, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friend, listen, it's not that God's unloving. It's not that Jesus condemns. It's that we condemn ourselves when we choose not to believe, not to trust, not to surrender our lives to Jesus. Each man and woman who rejects Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. Hell is not a joke. It's not a party that you don't want to miss out on. It is a real place. It's described as a lake of fire that burns forever. It's described as a place of eternal torment. It's a place where the punishment for sinning against an infinitely holy God is infinitely experienced by sinners. The judgment is simple. People want darkness more than they want light. People would rather live in their sin rather than believe in Jesus. But friend, that does not have to be you today. Matter of fact, some of my favorite preachers of old have always taken John 3.16 and they've done something that I've always thought was impactful for me personally. What they've done is they've taken that verse and they've said, hey, Danny, listen, instead of just the world or, or whosoever, do you know that Jesus was talking to you? He says, why don't you put your name in that verse? For God so loved Danny that he gave his only son, that if Danny would believe in him, Danny would not have to perish, but can have eternal life, everlasting life. Friend, do you realize you can put your name in there too? Hey, can I tell you something, friend? Do you realize that you can put your coworker's name in there? Your friend's name in there? Your family member's name in there? Hey, listen, Christian, when you're thinking about how often you've heard John 3, 16, that maybe it bores you now, do you realize that not only does it teach us what Jesus has done in saving our souls, but it is the greatest motivation for you to tell your friends that Jesus died for them too? Christian, do you realize that this is not just a verse for people who need to give their life to Jesus? Do you realize that it's also a verse that should remind you down deep in your core that that sin you did yesterday, that sinning you did last week, that unconfessed sin in your life right now, that's what put Jesus on the cross. Friend, maybe today you need to repent of your unconfessed sin. And you need to say, thank you, Jesus, for the reminder of your love. I want to live in it daily. What a reminder of his love than the confession of our sin to the one who gave it all for us. Hey, listen, if you're here this morning, you need to put your name in John 3, 16 because you've never given your life to Jesus. Listen, friend, I'm gonna be right back there in that lobby. I'd love to tell you how you can give your life to Jesus and for it to be changed forever. But can I tell you something real? Listen to me. You don't need me to tell you. God's already told you in John chapter 3. 
right now today, right where you are, you can confess your sin and you can ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You can give it to him today, your life. It can be his right where you are. When we respond in just a few moments, you just tell him, Jesus, I'm sorry. I know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I know you died for me and you rose again to bring me new life. And just tell him, Jesus, I want you to save me. Be my Lord and savior. I wanna follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. You and him do that today. You don't need me. But if you feel like you do, I'm right back there in that lobby. Hey, Christian, you don't need me either. You know what you need? You need a wake up call from John 3, 16. You need to remember the depths of God's love, the demonstration of God's love, the deliverance of God's love. You need to remember the dismissal of God's love. You got friends who continue to dismiss it. Have you told them about what he's done in your life? Have you told him about how much Jesus loves them? Hey, Christian, are you here this morning? You got sin in your life that has been overwhelming you. Have you been running from God rather than to him? Well, listen, maybe you need this reminder. Even in your worst day, Jesus decided to climb on the cross for you. Maybe today you need to stop running from God and run back to him. Why? Because he so loves you. Listen, I don't know how you need to respond today, but I know this. God's word demands a response from us. So what is it today, friend? How do you need to respond to the love of God? Hey, listen, for the love of God, will you respond to Jesus today? Follow me.